People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today on Health Gig, we are joined by Jonathan DePotter. Jonathan is the founder of Behold Retreats and advocates for elevating consciousness and working on oneself as the most meaningful way to improve the world. As a thought leader in psychedelic plant medicine, his priority is to guide others to maximize the benefits and to raise education and awareness on the subject. Prior to founding Behold Retreats, Jonathan worked as a strategy consultant at Accenture and country manager for Capco Thailand supporting Fortune 500 companies with their digital strategy and technology transformations. So Jonathan, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you, Doro. It's lovely to be here. Trisha and I, we were fortunate enough to have another conversation with you earlier. So we are extremely excited to welcome you to our show and to talk about all of these amazing questions we want to ask you. But we want to start with, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and how you got into plant medicine. I think it probably makes sense to start all the way back. So I grew up in Hawaii with uh, really hippie alternative parents. And so from a young age, I took exactly the opposite path, as you might expect, and kind of didn't believe that, shall we say, substances or plant medicines had anything positive to offer. Growing up in Hawaii, it's an amazing, beautiful place. But, you know, honestly, there's some dark energy there as well. And so I saw a lot of that wrapped up around alcohol abuse and drug abuse growing up. And so, you know, for me, what I was told in school, just say no, really aligned to my experience of what I saw in the world around me. And so despite having pretty open-minded parents, I rejected all of that. You know, unfortunately, a lot of my friends found substances from quite a young age. I want to say, you know, 11, 12, early teens, unfortunately. That was kind of my path. I finished high school. I moved to New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand for 10 years, which was an amazing country and experience. And I entered the corporate world after university. And, you know, at the time, I was an atheist. I was very determined in relation to my work and then subsequently moved to Hong Kong where I continued that career path. And so, you know, climbing the career ladder and chasing the normal pursuits of work life, I found myself at 33 and having some quite fundamental questions. You know, I was, I guess for my five years in Hong Kong, I was working 12 to 16 hours a day. I was, you know, honestly, I was drinking a little bit too much. I had a great fun social life, so it wasn't like problematic or anything like that. And so after five years of kind of being on that treadmill of chasing the next client and the next deal and the next promotion to lead yet a bigger team, and da, 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 I just felt, God, there's got to be something more to life than this chaos, this work, this endless pursuit. And so I took a year off and spent most of that traveling through South America. And as part of that, was lucky enough with a couple of friends to find myself at an ayahuasca retreat, a plant medicine ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Wow. From there, how did you get to behold retreats? The experience itself was incredibly profound. So as I shared before, I went into that experience, you know, pretty close-minded, you know, entirely atheistic, and thought that I had the right answers about a lot of different things if I'm to be honest. And there was some character traits, some impatience, some anger, some frustration that honestly, I wasn't really able to understand where those character traits, character flaws were coming from. They would manifest in my character and limit me personally and professionally, but I didn't understand where they were coming from. And so 
over the course of that plant medicine experience, it was really profound. You know, I, I was connected very rapidly and completely and entirely to the spiritual world, which you could not have convinced me existed. I was given 101 humbling lessons in relation to who I was, who I am, who I could be. And I was shown my mother's face and all of the most powerful emotions, joy, pride, shame, anguish. And then instance by instance over the course of my life, how I had individually caused those emotions. But I was seeing it from the third person. So I was actually watching myself having these experiences throughout the course of my life and seeing moments where I was bringing absolute joy and pride to my mother, which is amazing and beautiful. And then the opposite, which is such a humbling and profound experience to be seen the positive and negative effects that you can have on others. And that started with my mother, then it moved to my father, then it moved to other loved ones in my life. And I just came out of that like so overwhelmed that I almost didn't know what to do with the experience. And so through that experience, the years that followed in the retreats that I attended, I became increasingly interested about plant medicine and had a lot to learn, honestly, before ultimately establishing Behold Retreats over the course of about five years. So here's the thing. Plants have been around forever, right? Plants were the first kind of medicine. So now we're referring to this as plant medicine. So who's calling it plant medicine? You'll hear a couple different terms thrown around, right? You'll hear psychedelics, you'll hear entheogens, you'll hear plant medicine. Those are three of the common categories. And they all mean something slightly different. In fact, each person has potentially different definitions of those categories themselves. Strictly speaking, plant medicine doesn't incorporate uh, fungi, such as magic mushrooms, which are classic psychedelics. So there's some nuances here. But generally speaking, we're, we're speaking about plant-based psychedelics, right? So we're talking about ayahuasca, which is a combination of two plants from Central and South America. We're talking typically about the magic mushrooms. We're talking about San Pedro and peyote cactus. And there's another one from Africa called iboga, which is also very powerful in particular for addiction. So they all have, you know, different strengths. They all have different experiences associated with them. But the common underlying elements is that these are very powerful, very healing medicines that amplify what's happening in our subconscious and they amplify our access to identify, process, and resolve some of the stuff that might be there hidden in dark corners. You know, and you say on your website that it's seven years of growth in seven weeks using these plants. Can you talk about that and what you mean by that? And I guess we know why that's a good thing, but could you talk about why that's a good thing? <laughs> yeah, sure. And so I guess to contextualize that, we pretty much all have childhood trauma, right? The example I sometimes give is imagine you're five years old and you're carrying groceries in for mom and mom's at the end of a bad day and she drops the groceries or you drop the groceries. Sorry. And mom in that moment says, you never get anything right. Just get out of the way. Now, your five-year-old brain doesn't have the capacity to distinguish between that which should take hold in your subconscious and that which is just mom at the end of a bad day. And so something as minor an infraction as that can have a serious impact upon the child. And now that's just the beginning of the pattern, right? Because the next day, the child's at school playing ball with friends, gets the ball. And for some reason, that triggers that moment yesterday with mom. And the tape that plays is you never get anything right. Just get out of the way. Child immediately passes the ball. Now we have a pattern that's been established. And that's going to set the child on a fundamentally different developmental path. Now, clearly, again, 
we're talking, this is the most minor of infractions that mom could make. Right. And so what's interesting about this is that our brains pick up on this and they can suppress and repress and compartmentalize this experience away from our conscious memory. Uh, and that's what's often happened. So, you know, for example, when I shared before impatience, frustration and anger, that had a basis in my, some of my childhood trauma, some of my repressed and suppressed childhood trauma. And so these plant medicines reconnect parts of the brain that have been compartmentalized away. All of a sudden, we regain access to that memory. All of a sudden, we understand a lot more about ourselves as a result of unlocking that memory. And then at that point in time, there's also a lot to deal with mentally and emotionally because we've uncovered something which is very significant. And so when we speak about seven years of growth in seven weeks, you know, often the people who are exploring this as a healing modality, they've already done a lot, right? Americans are amazingly determined in relation to self-improvement, which is amazing. And I think part of what <laughs> makes America so great. So they've often tried a lot of things. Uh, and so often they've tried coaching, they've tried therapy, they've tried meditation, they've tried yoga, they've tried all of these different things. But there's just still this feeling there's something else there that's keeping me from my true self, from my purpose, from my joy, from my everything. And so, uh, and so when we speak about seven years of growth, in seven weeks, you know, it, it's a bit of a marketing term, right? But what we're talking about is unlocking the rest of your neural capacity and, um, and being able to heal and process that over the course of over seven week program. Do you think that plant medicine works best when you have done work before you go to the plant medicine? And can you talk about that and what it's like if you just decide to say, I'm just going to do this? How does it look like for that for you? That's a great question. And it's so important and so sensitive in relation to this work as it grows exponentially in terms of popularity, that people understand that these plant medicines or psychedelics generally are not necessarily positive. I'm actually not pro psychedelics, as it were. This is a very powerful tool that if used correctly and treated for its sacred nature as it is, then it's amazing what can be done with this tool, but it just amplifies what is. So if we're in negativity of mind and negativity of emotion, and we can still have a very profound transcendent psychedelic experience that actually bypasses the ego construct on the whole. And so when we take the time and the energy to invest in the mental and emotional work to really understand where we're at and where we'd like to be, what we'd like to manifest into our lives, what we're willing to let go of, whether that be negativity of mind, lower level emotions like fear, guilt, shame, pride, envy, scarcity, all of those sorts of things that kind of sit at those lower levels. And then also where we're at, right, in terms of our own well-being. And just once we understand where we're at, then we can get very clear on where we'd like to be. And so when we set deep and meaningful intentions, the plant medicine is able to show us what would need to be true in order for that future self to come into reality, if that makes sense. Let me ask you about when something is amplified. Predominantly, this is a process of surrender to the universe. We are down-regulating what is called the default mode network in the brain, which is the seat of the ego. And it is what keeps all the other parts of the brain separate. And it also maintains the illusion of the separate self. So if you look at any of the you know, mystical traditions or spiritual religious traditions throughout the ages, they all speak about this ability to merge with the universe, right? So there's the potential for loss of duality, subject, object. 
And this work equally represents that opportunity for each of us to actually merge with the universe at large. And so that's complete ego dissolution. Ego death is sometimes other language that's used. As we are experiencing this amplification of lower level energies that we have stored in our body and stored away in our brain, what we're trying to do is, is really release it. We're trying to process it and release it. And so we teach mental and emotional tools to people weeks ahead of the retreat so that as and when things are being amplified, and they actually work with the tools ahead of the retreat, because the more we can release these lower level emotions ahead of the plant medicine experience, then the more we're in the practice of doing that, and the much more we can release within a short space of time. And if we don't teach those tools for mental and emotional work beforehand, then what tends to happen is there's this massive amplification of lower level negative energies, and the ego is scared and it holds on and it's a hell of a ride if you try to do that. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's what happened to me in my first plant medicine experience. And uh, that's what I wish for absolutely none of our clients, to be honest. <laughs> so can you describe what the hell of the ride, like what is that and how long does it last? Yeah, sure. So there's different plant medicines and different sort of requirements in relation to preparation for these experiences. In a broad sense, the plant medicine responds to intentionality. So if you are taking the preparation phase very seriously on the level of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, even sexual, the plant medicine is able to respond to that, right? So we're building up our neurological and neurochemical um, capacities in preparation for that. And so the better we can eat, the more we can exercise well, um, the more we can meditate, the more we can listen to, uh, we have energetic healings, which you can think about like kind of noise cancellation for lower level emotions within our program. So the more we can do this very deep preparation ahead of the experience, then the better, the more powerful, the deeper the experience, regardless of what plant medicine that we're working with. But generally speaking, say if you're working with ayahuasca for two weeks ahead of the retreat, you would go vegan, uh, no salt, no sugar, um, no caffeine, no cigarettes, no sex. And that's all part of the energetic preparation for what is a very powerful experience. So the preparation will allow this experience to do a little deeper work. Exactly. But you always say it's not the plant, it's the mind shift. Is that right? I think it's the two coming together. My first years of retreats were without mental and emotional work. I knew there was deeper opportunities. So I was on a cycle that a lot of people are on, which is that I would go to a retreat, five-star, you know, $10,000 retreat, and I would spend a week there doing hard work and I would have insights and downloads as I shared before. And then my life would return to normal. And then I'd go on another retreat and then my life would return to normal. I knew in my essence that there was just something more. There was something more there. And a lot of people have that feeling. And what a lot of people are doing is they're skipping the mental and emotional work and or another unfortunate dynamic in relation to this work is that there's actually a short supply of expert workers in this field because the popularity has just grown so exponentially in the past five years. You know, when there was 15 retreat centers five years ago, now there's 250 at my last count. And so oh, that means wow. most of those 250 retreat centers have only been open for the past five years, which means mm. the people have only been running retreats for the past five years, which may sound like a long time, but in relation to the complexity of the human being, plant medicine, the combination of the two coming together and spiritual work, that's it's not long. At the minute. No. How do you get trained to do this work? And do you all do the training? 
One kind of historic and unfortunate dynamic is that, broadly speaking, colonialism has wiped out plant medicine traditions across the globe, right? So when we hear about shamans or we hear about witches in different places that colonialism has gone to, clearly they were doing something so bad that we had to wipe them all out, right? Because that's generally the story. So there's increasing evidence that what was actually happening is that we were wiping out these plant medicine traditions, which was a meaningful component, keeping people connected to their own source, their own divinity, right? And so if we like to tell people what to do, then disconnecting them from their source, disconnecting them from their own divinity is one effective tool in helping them listen to you versus listening to their own individual guidance from above, if that makes sense. And so I contextualize that to say that these plant medicine traditions have survived in not that many places, actually, but graciously, they are reemerging from those places. So Gabon in Africa with Iboga, as I mentioned before, there's traditions throughout Central and South America, deep in the desert, high in the mountains, deep in the jungle in the Amazon. These plant medicine traditions have reemerged from. Most people who have learned this work have done training under shamans in the shamanistic tradition. But more recently, we also see training being offered by some of the leading academic institutions. So Johns Hopkins University, NYU, Harvard, I think, now has a program, California Institute of Integral Studies. And so it's very interesting because there's actually two quite different schools of thought that are kind of coming together. The so-called psychedelic science is taking a modern, deterministic, academic view of this topic where we try to isolate a single compound like synthetic psilocybin, which is the active component within magic mushrooms. You know, the, the spiritual perspective of this work is so much more complex and nuanced than the scientific methodology. And that's what's very exciting is that there's a lot to be gained in the scientific research and understanding from the spiritual guidance and input that is available through people who have done this work as a result of their own learning and their own experiences. So interesting. So your guides are, how do you find your guides? So let's start with the rational answer. So the rational answer is exactly what you'd expect. We're looking for highly experienced practitioners who have guided thousands of people over decades. And so, you know, those are people who have done their deep inner work. So they have gone down the rabbit hole and come back out the other side. They're very motivated to help other people shift, other people expand their consciousness and deepen their relationship to self, relationship to others, and just add their beauty out into the world. That's what's exciting about this work is just peeling away layers of what we are not so that we can see what we are. That's the rational answer. Now, in terms of the spiritual answer, there's energetic dynamics in relation to this work. So people who are very spiritually connected are able to tap into the level of consciousness or the energetic frequency, if you want to speak in more physical terms, of another individual. So they're actually able to see where they're vibrating. This work is really all about energy and vibration and frequency, right? So what the plant medicine is trying to do is bring us into a higher frequency. And so whatever it is that's prohibiting us from mind, body, heart, and spirit aligning within a single frequency and to move up is going to be the thing that's amplified and is going to be dealt with in that moment by moment experience. Now, another dynamic in relation to this work is that you will harmonize at the highest frequency that's available. So when we talk about sustaining an elevated state of consciousness or sustaining a higher frequency, then a guide is not going to be able to guide you to a higher level of consciousness than they've achieved themselves. 
there'll be exceptions to this, no doubt. But there's a harmonization of energy that's happening between the person who is guiding and the person who is being guided. As we know, things harmonize at the higher frequency. That's why I was spending years on end at these five-star retreat centers trying to rambo it myself in various jungles and not reaching a higher frequency. It was because the people that were guiding me had not reached a higher frequency themselves. I just have to say one thing right here and now. Trisha could be a guide because she can read people's energies. It's true. No, way. <laughs> it's true. No, no I, absolutely. I believe you 100%, Dora. But that makes sense. So it's in a way your guide has done their work. So you want everybody to almost benefit from that energy. So they have the opportunity to go up. So that's how when people are learning to figure out where to go now that there's 250 retreats, part of the questions that they'll need to ask is that, right? Yeah, yeah. The way that I encourage people to think about this, assuming that they're not super spiritually connected so that they can't do the tricks that some of our spiritual mentorship is able to do. What I encourage people to think about and look at is not the five-star reviews on the retreat websites, which is 100% the norm. So pretty much every single one of these retreat centers is rated as five stars. So that tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that these are very profound experiences and that people are having very positive experiences. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing it tells us is that the review system is fundamentally not serving its purpose. Given the depths and given the complexity of this work, people are not able to discern quality because they don't actually know what they're looking for. And so what I typically share with people, people ask me, well, how can I find a good experience? How can I find a good experience? Ask to speak to people who that person has served or who they have served over time. So what you're looking for is objective transformations to people's lives, right? So where were they before in terms of physical, emotional, and mental health? Where were they before in terms of their relationships with their loved ones? Where were they before in terms of their passion for work? Where were they before in terms of their abundance? Are they living on purpose? All of those sorts of things, right? And what you should be hearing about is a transformation over time that's taken place rather than, oh yeah, I went down to Costa Rica and I had this really life-changing experience. But then, you know, they go back to traffic, they go back to work, they go back to, you know, fluorescent lighting, and fundamentally, nothing has changed in their lives. So I always encourage people to not be shy, ask for reference calls of people who have been guided to a true transformation in terms of their quality of life and quality of experience. Because the reality is that each and every one of us is at a level of consciousness right now. And each and every one of us can elevate our consciousness. And each and every one of us can do so endlessly. There's no point of having reached or attainment, the opportunity is to evolve our consciousness so that we can continue to witness ourselves from higher and higher states of consciousness. I hear what you're saying, that you can go beyond. So how many guides do you have over there at Behold Retreats? So at the moment, we work with about seven different guides. They work with different medicines. They work with different traditions. They work under different contexts as well. Generally speaking, people do this either in a group context or in a private context. Often people feel inclined to do it in a group context first because there's a sort of safety in numbers thing that's going on. But at the same time, these can be very challenging experiences, right? Because we're trying to harmonize with some of the stuff that's back there that we might not like so much. And so when clients are in a position to do so, I can always comfortably recommend to them that they consider doing this work privately because 
when you've got just two practitioners solely focused on you and you don't have to worry about anything else in the world other than what's going on in your inner experience, it's a very different sort of help and support. For a lot of us in this world who are doing quote unquote well, accepting help is actually a new paradigm, right? There's a lot of strong people out there who are providing help to their families, to their teens, but for them to actually accept emotional help and very deep emotional help is actually a new frontier for a lot of leaders. So how does that work? So maybe you can go back to now describing exactly what happened for you. You had a hell of a ride the first time, right? Can you tell us what that was? And I mean, are you able to share that? <laughs> uh, now I'm going to scare some of your audience. <laughs> so there's a group of about seven or eight of us in total at the retreat center. And in the evenings around six o'clock, you go into a ceremonial area and you sit in a semicircle. You know, we come together in a ceremonial setting. We drink the medicine and it takes about 30 to 45 minutes to activate. You know, it has strong purgative effects physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, honestly. So, you know, often we've got as a result of not so healthy food chain that's got a lot of preservatives and other chemicals in it. Even if we've eaten really healthy for about two weeks, there's some stuff that the medicine will start with on the physical level. And then often it will move more into the mental and emotional and then out and into the spiritual. Now, of course, the whole experience is all of those things happening together. It's very profound. People always describe these experiences as irreducible to natural language. Any attempt to do so is the failure of human language. And so everyone's experiences are unique. Even if someone is working with plant medicine every day and has done so working with a single plant medicine and a single practitioner for 100 days straight, if you ask them what's going to happen on the 101st night, they're just going to look at you and say, I have no idea because so many things affect the experience itself. It's all energetic, right? And so the universe is always in motion. We are influenced by those energies and these experiences as well. It takes 35 to 45 minutes to start working. And then how long is it work for? It depends. Typically, you know, between four to seven hours is quite common. Within a ceremony, there's often an opportunity to drink more medicine. So go a second time. You know, within the course of a week-long retreat, typically there will be three or four ceremonies. So you've got an opportunity to peel some layers off and then try to make sense of your new self for a day and then go again. And the role the guides play then is they're with you, they're helping you, you're talking to them, that kind of thing. I oversimplify the different types of guides into three categories. The first are serving medicine. And this is very common. I would say this probably makes up 70% plus of experiences that are out there where you are being served medicine. And then what's going to happen is what's going to happen. The second would be the people who are more skilled with some of the therapeutic and or somatic work. So they're more like holding space. Often trauma is stored in the body. So there's trauma that is being released from the physical body. And then the third is actually people who are doing energetic work spiritual work for you. So those people are able to transmute energy on your behalf. And I understand that sounds pretty out there, but there's a lot of energy moving fast. And so with experienced practitioners, they're actually able to help you share that load. And they are much more able to reduce the amount or take some of the amount of what's going on at a point in time for you, which is unbelievably helpful. Now, these are the unicorns in relation to this work. There's very few people who understand how to do that. Well, if I was to guess a number, I would guess that sub 1% of people who are doing this work 
do that work well. Most of those people keep a very low profile. They've been doing this work for a very long time. They don't have a website. They're always busy. You can't go to some website and go click, click, click book now. That's, uh, that's not where these people are at. <laughs> I have a question. So do you have a hangover? I mean, what does it feel like after? The opposite of a hangover. You know, conditions vary for people, but generally speaking, people feel amazing after one of these retreats because the medicine is doing work on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level. And so it has really harmonized the cells in the body. And so we can really feel this vibration throughout our body. What can go wrong? There's physical, psychological, and then medicinal contraindications. The physical is anyone who's got a heart condition or stroke is generally out. The second is psychological. So anyone who's got schizophrenia, bipolar, or psychosis is out. And then the third is these plant medicines generally don't play nice with prescription medicine. So you can't be on prescription meds. And again, we take our clients through the screening process to make sure that this is going to be safe for them across those three fronts. That being said, the group of people that plant medicine retreat centers hope they never get is the people who are between 20 and 30 and have a genetic predisposition or disposition to psychosis, bipolar, or schizophrenia, but have not yet had their first break. Mm-hmm. If we peel everything else back and we do the work at a high level, we do the screening, we've got the right medicine, they're well prepared. If we do all of that well, this is all safe, like for pretty much 100% of the population. Like one of our practitioners, He's been doing this work for 30 years, never had an acute case, knock on wood, in relation to this work. What about the people who just use this recreationally? I had an experience of someone who invited me to an island <laughs> to some kind of medicinal plant medicine, and, but not for medicinal reasons, just for let's go do it. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, well, I guess the question that I would ask is, how are you doing? <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> the way that I abstract this is, is to look at any sort of, let's say, psychedelic scene or psychedelic community without judgment or negativity. It's a different sort of an energy. It's more hedonistic. It's recreational, right? It's not being treated with a great deal of care. Am I against recreational use? No, not necessarily. But would I ever do it myself? Also, no, because... These are such powerful and sacred experiences. And so to think that someone could be walking into Coachella and then all of a sudden unlock their childhood trauma is like, wow, each of these festivals that attract people who are doing this stuff recreationally, they have these huge tents of people who are in a very bad state by virtue of using psychedelics in a recreational setting. You're opening yourself up energetically. And so being in a crowd of 100,000 people or even 50 people. There's some retreat centers that do this with groups of 50 people. Opening yourself up energetically in a group of 50 people may not be in your highest interests. You know, you started by talking to us about what the analytics are showing. And you were saying it's healing trauma, finding peace, and living with purpose. And healing trauma seems to be all of us. But you're saying for healing trauma, leaders are finding that that's helping them. Once they heal that, they can then become better leaders successful people, if we talk about hyper-successful people, they often have been driven to success in no small part by their trauma. The reason that that is, is that they've been impacted mentally and emotionally. And so perhaps they feel like they're never good enough, right? And so they need this external validation because of something that happened early in life. There's no end to that, right? Because 
you can't feel good enough inside by external validation from the outside. And so when we talk about hyper-competitive people, it's often as a result of feeling not good enough that drives them that extra 10% harder than someone who does feel good enough. If I think back to my life in the corporate world, you know, most of my old bosses were pretty hard charging, pretty highly intellectual leaders that, you know, were leading hundreds, if not thousands of people, and they all have trauma and they're super successful. They're operating at the highest level. They're earning millions of dollars at some of the best firms in the world, right? Consulting has been most of my career strategy consulting. So these people are operating at an unbelievably high level in massive complexity, and they're managing the family life and the professional life and da, 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 And at the core is just this deep trauma. And so it's been an interesting journey for me as you know, I've done my own work to reconnect with some of my past mentors and bosses and teachers and to connect them with some of the therapists and the healers that we work with to have conversations like they have never had before in their lives because they've never opened up. People are looking to them for help and support and guidance, but they've never accepted any into their lives. And so that's something that's been more rewarding to me than anything is to see the people that I know, love and trust and have given me already so much to be able to help them open up emotionally and to reconnect with their true essence, you know, which has been robbed of them by no fault of their own, because we've got this dynamic of intergenerational trauma just being passed down to generation after generation. You're in Thailand. I am. Yeah. So are people able to get to you, at least from the United States, or what's going on there? We've continued to do work in the Netherlands, in Tulum, in Mexico, as well as in Costa Rica. And then we do some private work in some additional locations to that. So for the private work, it's mostly people of in positions of high influence, right? And so they've got, I guess, more degrees of freedom in relation to their ability to travel, etc. So that hasn't really been a problem for us. You know, this is such important work and it's gaining so quickly in popularity that when there's resonance there between what we can do for people, there's an understanding of like, okay, I'm coming and I'm getting on the next plane. And it's, you know, it's often that we have to slow them down a little bit because there's mental and emotional work to do ahead of the plant medicine. You know, why now, Jonathan, why do you think it's become so popular now? There's a few things that have come together. I think MAPS, right? The, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they've been at this for 30 plus years. You know, they've been quietly campaigning, getting donors, funding trials. And so it's been driven by the science, you know. And so Johns Hopkins and a few other select universities really do earn the credit for what they've been able to show through hard science. And it's also been helpful that we've been able to depoliticize the issue by virtue of healing veterans, right? That's so important for us in America is to find a way to depoliticize an issue and to say the overwhelming majority of the conversation is, hey, it looks like this might help with depression. Hey, it looks like this might help with anxiety. Hey, it looks like this might help with PTSD. From a scientific perspective, we don't really have any evidence for higher states of consciousness or even mystical experiences other than people reporting that they've had a mystical experience, right? So it has been captured, of course, throughout the ages and in virtually every tradition and in every religion. Man has been made in his image. It's in the Buddhist scriptures. It's in the Vedic scriptures everywhere. But if you ask a hardcore scientist, there's no evidence for higher states of consciousness. And so 
that's where I get very excited about this work. The opportunity is to grow a base of healers that have the spiritual understanding, people who have inherent energetic skills and help them tap into these skills and so that they are able to guide more and more people to sustain higher levels of consciousness. That's what this opportunity really represents. This is incredible, Jonathan. Thank you for being so amazing and for this amazing work that you're doing. After this conversation, it just makes so much sense. And what you're trying to do or want to offer to people is to have leaders come and experience this so that they could bring it into their organizations. Is that the whole intention for you? Absolutely. And so as and when leaders go back into their context, then they're operating at a higher frequency. And so next part of our vision is to begin to arm leaders with the tools to begin transforming consciousness within their outer worlds, right? So family life with work within professional networks, and maybe even the guy that you play tennis with, maybe invite him down to the next one, right? So that's what this work represents. I've maybe, you know, peeled three or four layers of the onion, this onion. Some of the teachers that are out there are on much deeper layers of the onion. They've been doing this work for decades. Some of my teachers, they've actually run out of teachers and they're still learning themselves. So this represents a rabbit hole that has such profound implications for the change of energy on our planet. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. You know, a lot of the crazy headlines and unseen or never seen before circumstances in the markets and stuff like that. We're being shown that the path that we're on at the moment is out of sync and out of balance with some of the higher laws of the universe. And so everything is going to come back into balance necessarily. Now, how we navigate that is obviously up to us individually and collectively, but fundamentally, in the end, nature will be put back in balance, whether we like it or not. Thank you for spending yes. this hour this with us. This has been fascinating. Oh my gosh, will you come back? How about this? You come on an experience with me and then we have another yeah. conversation. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, that exactly. Would be awesome. <laughs> exactly. Well, Jonathan, thank you. This has just been incredible. We so appreciate your time and appreciate the work that you're doing. So yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch. <laughs> Thank you, Tricia. Thank you, Dora. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia. And I'm Dora. Be well. <laughs>